0: Or Jesus has just said you would have, if you'd known me you would have known my father also from now on you know him and have seen him and that leads to this 8 to 15 Philip
1: said to him the Lord shows the father and it is sufficient for us Jesus said to him have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me Philip, he who has seen me has seen the father So how can you say, chose the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments.
0: All right, so Philip says, Well, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. One would hope so. <laughs> but of course, he missed the point. What was Jesus saying? Yeah, you can see the Father by seeing Jesus. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus is in the image of the Father. Jesus shows the Father who he really is and what he's like. That's what Jesus is saying. And and Philip is like, well, show us the Father. Jesus explains to him just that point. That he reveals the Father. And they should believe what he says, or at least believe what he does. They should be convinced that he is, in fact, the revelation of the Father. Now he says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. What in the world does he mean by that? How could he say that greater works than these his followers would do? Do you suppose that he's saying they will raise more people from the dead, feed more than 5,000 with five sandwiches, walk across larger bodies of water, or what? Do you think been
2: John 4 when he's really excited about the one in the well, he it, the greater works they would do things to other people and other people
0: would come to I think that's the, the right track. More conversions. Maybe the idea of raising the soul and not just the body. You know, bringing people to the Lord, spreading the gospel more. After all, the, the thing that's going to change here is that Jesus is going to sacrifice Himself for our salvation. And so the salvation of men's souls is a greater work than the raising of their bodies. I don't think this means they're going to do greater miracles nor do I think that would be very possible. And then Jesus says whatever you ask in my name that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name I will do it. Now this in my name phrase becomes a real key. It's used quite a number of times in chapter 14, 15, and 16. And, and he keeps saying, you need to ask in my name. What does that mean? Right, his authority. His authority? Well, I was just going to say, you know,
1: if you ever for
0: some reason have the police go to your door and say, well, in the name of the law, they saying by the authority of the law. Okay. I'm not sure that's adequate. I think he may mean more than just ask by his authority. You know, the name of someone in the Bible refers to their person, their character. And I think he may be saying you need to ask in accordance with who I am, what I am, you need to ask within the sphere of what I've revealed to you about myself. His power, his power but also his character and his will. Would you ask in his name that, um, you know, he make a robbery successful? Now, you might ask that and say, well, I want this to be on your authority, that this robbery be successful. But that would not be in his name. It wouldn't be in accordance with his nature, with his revelation, with his character. Obviously, that's a pretty extreme example. But what we request from God should be according to the things about himself that he has revealed to us. You know, because otherwise, we're just sort of asking for what we want. That's sometimes what you might have thought prayer was supposed to be. I grew up sort of thinking that. It's kind of like this. Do you ever see in the Bible people praying for things that God's already promised? Yeah, if you've read the Bible very much, that's mostly what they pray for. Have you ever thought that was kind of empty and futile? Why pray for something God's already promised? If he's already promised he's going to do it, you need to pray for the things that he hasn't promised and hope maybe he'll do those. Is that what you think? Well, that's wrong. What we do pray for is exactly what God has promised, what God has revealed that he wants. We pray in his character according to his will, conforming to his desires. That is exactly what we pray. We pray in his name as opposed to praying for our own will. And so, you know, you say, pray for, for... you know, uh, something that, that the Bible clearly indicates is, is right. Well, that's what you pray for. That's what you ought to want. Why would we want our will to be done if it wasn't God? Would you want that? I hope not. So I think that's really what he's saying is to pray within the sphere of the revelation of himself, and as we do that, then... God is glorified. And we will receive those blessings. And then he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you have comments and questions through verse 15? J.D.? Uh,
2: can you comment on the fact that we use that verse to feel
0: like it's almost out of prayer if we don't round it off in Jesus' name? Or at we tendency to be almost of about okay. that. There is no reason for us to do that. You know, we do not... Well, Colossians 3 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. That is, do all fitting His will according to His character and revelation and so forth. It does not mean you have to say in the name of the Lord in everything you say or do. It's not bad to say I'm doing this in the name of the Lord. But it doesn't suddenly make it in the name of the Lord or it's not if you don't say it. So there's no formula for ending a prayer. If you end a prayer by ending the prayer without saying in Jesus' name, it doesn't invalidate the prayer. Ben? In
2: 1623 he says almost the same thing except he says in that day if you ask the Father anything in my name I will do it. Is there some distinction that he's saying right now he's me but later you ask the
0: father. I don't think so. I don't think he's trying to say thirteen and fourteen is just now. I think he's really, you, we we. Who do we ask in prayer? I think we ask the Father and or the Son. I don't believe <laughs> prayer is exclusively to one or the other. I might point out, we'll not get there. Proverbs, uh, or John 16, where did that come from? John 16, 26. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request to the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. We, we can ask God directly on the basis of Jesus' sacrifices of himself that has reconciled us back to God. Sometimes people say in Jesus' name thinking that that means that, we're going to forward, that Jesus is going to forward the prayer from his office onto God's. That is not an accurate concept. We pray directly to God or directly to Jesus but we do not forward prayers from Jesus' office to God. Just
2: do you think it's okay and proper to pray to Jesus, like actually
0: talk to Jesus or talk to God? Yes I do. Biblically I think we have several passages that teach that. Sure.
3: So, um, in 13, 12 and 13, the heat is anyone who has faith, and then they'll be able to do greater things um, because he's going through the Father. But as long as it's through Christ and based on that?
0: Yes, it's certainly not things we do independently. We're doing them according to his will, according to his word, and so forth. Wendell? you
3: think we pray to both at the same time? Sometimes we start with God and then we
0: certainly, yes. I I think what you have in the Bible often is prayers to God without distinguishing between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. You know, when we say God, we may be meaning God in the comprehensive sense, and I think often they do in the Bible. Yes, Alan? Um, What
1: would be some examples of praying Jesus?
0: Well, First 1 Timothy 1.12 is a really good passage where he says, "I thank Jesus Christ my Lord who put me into service." Uh, a- Acts seven, Stephen said, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." This passage uh, and and various others. Acts one, they seem to ask Jesus who they should choose as an apostle. Second Corinthians twelve, uh, Paul appears to have asked Jesus to remove this thorn of the flesh. So you've got several passages. Also, you've got Revelation five where they praise Jesus as well as the Father.
2: Right. A uh, friend of mine. Oftentimes, starts his prayer saying, "We come to you in the name of your son, our Lord Jesus." And I think if we say it at all, it might be more helpful to say it at the beginning to remind us why we're even able to pray to God in the first place. It's because
3: of the sacrifice that Jesus made.
0: There's nothing bad about saying that, as long as we don't regard it as a superstitious way of making the prayer. Okay, it's yeah. it's fine to say that, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't validate or invalidate the prayer,
3: Daniel. Connection, it seems like verse 15 is a little bit random. I mean, it's a way to where he's talking about, um, you know, we're asking, asking things from the Father, asking from Him. Uh, then he says, If you love Him, I command And then verse 16 goes back to asking the Father.
0: Well, yeah, but we're asking the Father in His name, according to His will. According to his character, by what he says. We don't just ask in his name, we live in his name. Because we love him, we do what he says, as well as asking for what he wishes. So I think our whole life is in conformity to his self revelation. John? Um, in verse 10, I guess it says uh, that
2: Jesus spoke according to not his own authority, but according to the Father. I'm having a tough time figuring out the
0: difference between authority and in, in his will or if, are those not the same thing? Uh, well, what is by his authority I guess would be in his will. I mean authority refers to power or right. Will refers to his wishes or desires. Other thoughts? Questions? Okay. Alright, 16 and 17.
3: I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it never sees him nor knows him. But you know
0: him for he lives with you and will be in you. Now this introduces a theme that's going to be important in these chapters 14, 15, and 16 and that is as Jesus leaves them, he's not leaving them by themselves. He'll send another helper. You may have Comforter, or counselor, whatever, advocate. Another implies Jesus has been one, but he's leaving to send another one, which is the Holy Spirit, to be with them forever. So they're not being abandoned and like uh, just uh, left on their own. Another helper, the Holy Spirit's going to become. Now he speaks. He's going to come. he speaks of him as being the Spirit of truth. God wants to be worshipped in spirit and truth because God's a God of truth Jesus is the way the truth and the life the spirit is the spirit of truth truth is the key for all beings that are God there is no falsehood whatsoever in the Godhead so the spirit of truth will come to be with and help these disciples that Jesus is leaving The world won't receive the spirit, but they will and will be blessed by him. So that's a comforting factor. You might think about some of these things as being ways to comfort them as Jesus is leaving. Sometimes we kind of forget the context. But Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. So what is he saying to comfort them? Well, I'm leaving, but I'm preparing a place where you'll be with me. You know, I'm not, it's not going to be like we'll never be together again. We will. And you now have seen and know the Father through my revelation. And you'll be able to do greater works because I've sacrificed myself and gone to the Father. And you'll be able to ask in my name. And if you ask me, I'll do it. So he's saying, and, and, and furthermore, there'll be another Helper who will come to be with you. So he's saying a lot of things to try to comfort them in view of the fact that he's leaving. So if we keep these teachings in that context, it may have a little bit more meaning for us. Alright, come, come into questions through seventeen. Chuck. Um, in sixteen, mentions the Holy Spirit and he talks about convicting the world of illness uh,
3: and sin, righteousness, and judgment and um, is that different than the job the Holy Spirit will have here in 14? Because it's the Spirit of Truth in 14, and then
0: in 16 it's more like the Spirit of Truth. I, I, I think it's the same Holy Spirit, and he just keeps revealing more details about what the Spirit will be doing as Jesus sends him. Kristen?
3: In verse 16 as well, um, well, verse. 16. So I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Just that he is that the Holy Spirit. Signifying
0: that he's kind of a person? Yes. Uh, I think that's a good term. You know, person when it applies to God seems kind of inadequate, but what else do we say? So it's not, I, I, it looks to me like the Bible generally depicts the Holy Spirit in personal terms as opposed to abstract terms. Now, all I know is what I read. And I have a number of question marks. But when we look at the things he says, like he's a helper, and some of the things he says that the Holy Spirit does, those seem to be personal things as opposed to abstract things. That's really what I know about that. I'm, I'm don't have all the answers, but that's that's what I can see. Yes, Ben. Um, could
3: you explain his argumentation
2: in verse 17 for why the world cannot receive those? That it, it just does not make sense. Like he says, the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him basically because
3: you receive him. It seems like.
2: He
0: <laughs> I'm not sure if I can explain that well. I mean, the general gist of it is. There's no compatibility between the world and the Holy Spirit. They have nothing in common. And yet, he's in you. You're well qualified to be with him and in him and receive him because you have fellowship with him. Still it all, it's kind of so, almost sounds like double talk, and I don't know how to explain that. Yes, Shay? Are
3: there any examples of uh, worshiping the Spirit?
0: hmm the only thing that you might have is: Are there examples of worshiping God that should be seen as including the Holy Spirit? I don't know of an example of worshiping the Holy Spirit himself alone. Look.
2: So, so while we have examples of praying to God the Father and God the Son. We do we not have anything of praying to the Holy Spirit? I don't know of
0: anything that but, that. But, as an example of that. So
2: would the passage about the Holy Spirit interpreting our prayer that suggest that that's
0: his only role? In our well I don't know if that's his only role, that is a role of him helping convey our unspeakable thoughts to God. That's my understanding of Romans eight, twenty six and twenty
3: seven. Yes. Um you mentioned the uh like uh, there was no instruction to worship the Holy Spirit or anything like that then why is it in the song um, glorify thy name uh, the last line is says spirit we love you we worship and do I like, is it wrong
0: to sing that line well what I said was there's not a, an example we have in the New Testament of the spirit being separately worshipped um, I think you could argue that since the spirit is God that he would deserve whatever worship we would give to God but that's probably where I need to leave that I'm not sure I know the answer to the rest of his questions. so there's a lot of questions I don't have answers to. So, J.D.? I
2: feel like it's a little weird to be trying to parse apart different roles of the Trinity when John's focus as a whole is how unified they are. Um, you know, I mean, It obviously gives us different presentations of what they do. With, and they're different. They weren't different. There's no point saying that they're one. Um, but the whole point is that they are one, and God is the Word and the Spirit of Truth. What is you know, truth uh, through the message. So, I mean, they are one, and I, I would do ourselves a disservice trying to take apart what we
0: haven't been. That's not, what it's, that's not what John's trying to do in this in life. Yeah, except we probably learn as much from John as anywhere about the differences between them and the distinct roles that they have. Some of that, I think, it's way beyond me. There is certainly a unity of God and yet there are some different roles and functions that you see even in what we're looking at in John. That's really over my head. Uh, and I'm, I, I probably need to be even more careful, but I, I wanna be hesitant not to make statements that I can't back up. I think, I think it's awfully easy for us to get carried away with things we don't really understand. Logan? Should
1: we look at
0: Yes. exactly
1: how they work together and
0: sure be to yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point. You know, uh, Matt, you know, it's hard to know where to go with some of those things. It's probably not bad that we naturally have questions arise based upon what we read. But when it's all said and done, those questions could distract us from what we're reading and distract us from the point of what we're reading. And I think we all struggle with that sometimes. And so, I don't know where to go with all that, but, but we certainly need to be sure that even if we can't answer all of our questions, we're applying what we're reading.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I agree with you and Ben's always our conscience and he helps us in that I I'm serious about that and uh, I mean you know those are we need those, those warnings I mean I think that's, that's all you know I mean there's just that, that tendency you know we all want to know things and you know especially some of those things that are kind of mysterious and kind of not very clearly defined man wouldn't you like to know all those things and really have the inside track on that it's kind of exciting but it's probably not very profitable. Mike.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like scene 17. The world can't see or touch the spirit. It's kind of what we And so they can't believe. And we don't have an answer to every question. And you know, we be able to the world cannot
2: perceive
3: it.
2: So we look at this passage as being applicable to us. Or, I mean, he's definitely talking to the 11 at this point and just to the 11? Should we see this as more of a historical passage and we're reading the story? Or should we be able to find doctrinal things that we can apply
1: to
0: us? That's an excellent question, very practical. Because we noted that the setting is Jesus is talking to the 11. To what extent do these passages apply to us? That's a pretty good question. I think we could say not totally what about 1426 but the helper the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you now if we try to apply that to ourselves just what is he bringing to our remembrance since Jesus never really said anything to us directly like that for him to bring to our remembrance or even perhaps 1613 where when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth And I don't think we would see that as happening with us directly, the spirit in us revealing through us all the truth. And I don't think we ought to see it that way. Um, So I think that there are parts of this that have special application to the 11 that really are not things that we should apply to ourselves. I don't think we should say that absolutely about this whole text. For example chapter 15 I am the vine my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away and so forth. I think we properly should see that as we also are the branches. Now I read a commentary that takes that as the apostles are the branches and it's not appropriate for us to apply that to ourselves. I think that's Overextending that, so I think really we have to have discernment in this passage to see what of these statements are specifically applicable to the apostles and what are properly extended to ourselves as well. Tim, every passage
3: really you apply to the immediate context first and address the immediate, the most relevant audience, and then that helps you determine what's actually the deal.
0: I think that's exactly right. This one may have even more specifics that apply to the 11 than, say, things Jesus taught a multitude, which probably are applicable pretty much across the board. Bill? What
3: was the rationale in that commentary? That only applies to
0: I am terrible about uh, explaining things I don't agree with. So I don't remember a rationale. It didn't impress me that there was one, but I'm sure the author thought there was. <laughs> i uh, the, trying to defend anything or explain anything I don't agree with, I do badly with, so... It's probably a flaw.
2: J.D.? Uh, I wonder if 16, seventeen is more about the Spirit given to all the disciples, uh, because it contrasts with the world. I think so. Uh, you know, the world doesn't receive it, but you who appreciate the truth, you know, you want to be one with me you as opposed to statements that you say, bring to your remembrance all that I've sent to you, which he's, which we pretty easily contrast between apostles and prophets and, and your average type. Uh, your non-inspired
3: type. I agree with that. Tim. Um, I guess I there's a third book. There's the apostles, there's us, and then maybe there's the New Testament inspired people and prophets that weren't the apostles, and I never thought about them in this picture, and I don't know how much I asked to do with that, the idea mean, Well,
0: you know, I, I might be inclined to think that some of these passages like 1426 and 1613 we should mostly think of as applicable to the 11, but there are several passages in the New Testament that put the prophets... Kind of as a co-function with the apostles, like Ephesians two twenty, where they're in the foundation of the church, and uh, 2 Peter three two and Jude seventeen, and uh, Ephesians three five. There's several passages that really do seem to show that the apostles and prophets had sort of foundational work to do in revealing the message, and that we are. Uh, Uh, taught and governed by the things taught by the apostles and prophets. Obviously that's pretty important for us overall since half the New Testament was written by non-apostles. Maybe not half, but a good part of it, like Acts and Luke and Mark and James and Jude and so forth, a good part was written by non-apostles, but they were prophets. I think they have equal authority in this as the apostles do, and I think those passages show that. I'm not sure I'd want to necessarily directly extend these to those. Is that confusing or not? Alright, how about 18 to 24?
1: I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no matter. But you will see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who, has, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not as it, said to him, Lord, how is it you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Judas answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my command. He will, he, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me he does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me.
0: Okay, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I struggle with a passage like that, and you've got several of them in these chapters. What is he talking about? And uh, it depends on which day it is, what I think he's talking about. Is he talking about, here's two possibilities, there's actually some more. Is he talking about that he would come to them after three days when he's raised from the dead? Is he saying that he'll come to them when he sends the Holy Spirit? And he's present with them in the Holy Spirit. There's some more possibilities, those are two leading candidates. I'm not sure. Uh, he says after a little while the world will no longer see me but you will see me because I live, you will live also and that day you will know that I'm in the Father and you in me and I in you. Certainly a close relationship between us and Jesus is he saying that he will come to abide in us and live in us. Is that the sense in which we're not orphans? So there's kind of a third possibility. He's either talking about he's raised and he'll be with them he says the Holy Spirit, he's with them through the Holy Spirit or maybe he's with them spiritually as they have this close relationship with him Uh, I'm willing to listen to an argument for any of those three I don't really have a strong conviction between those and it may depend a little bit on reading further, there's some more things especially in chapter 16 uh, along that line, somebody want to make a helpful comment, J.D.? Uh.
2: I I encourage that maybe options two and three are really like in the end the same thing. I mean, he he abides with us. i with you always in the end of the age, but he's with us through the Spirit that's been poured out.
0: Maybe, not sure we're intended to see him as only with us through the Holy Spirit, but maybe we're making a distinction without a difference when I say that. I don't know, Justin. In the next
3: two verses, 19 and 20, is that not just? explaining exactly what he said in 18. I mean, to me it seems like he's just continuing his thought and that just makes sense that he's telling them that he will come to them because they're, he's alive
2: and they will be alive also and they're going to see each other in end. Like, that just seems like to me that explains it.
0: So you're seeing that as his being spiritually present in them or he's coming back after the resurrection?
2: Spiritually. Okay. The yeah.
1: okay. Answering prayers too. He, he's definitely with us that
0: way. Sure however we look at that he says he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me he who loves me will be loved by my father I will love him and will disclose myself to him and Judas not Iscariot you know the other Judas in other words doesn't understand he is expecting the kingdom to be manifest to all how is it that he's not going to disclose himself to the world he says well if anyone loves me he will keep my word my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him so if we love Jesus and we obey what Jesus says, we have the Father and the Son coming to dwell in us. That's a really amazing statement. There's a lot of statements like that in the Bible. But those are all really mind-boggling. To think that God and Jesus will come to inhabit us. We almost become, what does the Bible say? The temple of the Lord. Uh, which is an amazing thought. If we don't love uh, he who does not love me does not keep my words. Now do you see the importance in this, in this very exalted context in which we love God and he comes to dwell in us. He really emphasized the importance of keeping his word because God's word is the expression of his will, of his heart. And so if we really love, if we really love God, we follow what he says. I think we don't see the word in spiritual enough terms. We may see it like a set of rules. But it's more than that. It is really, it gives us the life and will of God applied in our circumstances. So when we keep the word, we're not just keeping some arbitrary statutes we're really reproducing in our hearts God's will and God's life. And, and so for God to dwell in us, we must love him and keep his word. We really need to put more, uh, more attachment to really wanting to do exactly what he says, not out of legalism, but out of love. Because we really trust and admire him and his will, and we see his word as an expression of who he is and what his will is for us. It seems to me like he's really exalting his word into a, almost another level here, as he equates it with loving him and, and God and Jesus dwelling in us. Roger. Yeah, uh, can we make a
3: connection? Holy Spirit dwelling in us and Jesus dwelling in us, and has a big part of that is us keeping the Word of God.
0: That—that's the condition. Okay. Comments and questions through twenty-four. Tim, I
3: uh, just the idea of the Orphan's River. Um, I'm lost in my page. Um. Uh, I'll leave
2: you as Orphans. I'll come to you and wondering what we did. I mean. Is that their idea of him being in the spiritual community? Kind of see the next few verses. Is there a connection with the fact that he says I'm not going to leave you as orphans? And then he talks about fathers And then you know, like you're going to be in me, I'm your father. Like I'm going to give you a father almost. You know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Maybe
0: that's. I don't know. I mean, I think leaving him orphans is the idea. He won't be there anymore. You know, they would have felt orphaned by his absence. So if
2: he's there, they
0: have a father. That's true. Okay? Well, you want to work on the end of this if we can? Obviously, there's more to this than what I understand. But 25 to 31.
3: These things I have spoken to you while I'm still living. For the Helper, the Holy Spirit, and the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is rare than that. And now I have told you, or it takes place, that when it does do this, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Go?
0: Okay, so he promises to send the Holy Spirit who would remind them of what he said. I think that's a special promise to the apostles. I believe it includes the idea that he inspires the apostles to be able to reveal the message. Jesus gives peace to us. That, and and uh, not worldly peace, but true peace. Uh, In verse 27, and he says, Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. And then in 28, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. Now that was bothering them. But it shouldn't have. Because they were thinking about themselves. He says, If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father. When we left Brazil, when we moved back here, many people were very upset because we were leaving them. A few mature Christians said, we'll really miss you, but we're so happy for you that you'll be able to go back to your own families and people and so forth. We know that will be important for you. The disciples weren't thinking about Jesus. They were thinking about themselves in a rather shallow way. Because the truth is, it was going to be good for them also that Jesus left. What if he hadn't? Can you imagine how disastrous that would have been? He told them in advance so that what could have been a stumbling block that he was leaving would actually increase their faith because he knew what was going to happen. He says, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming. There is a showdown to take place on the cross between Jesus and Satan. And he says, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. In one sense, the crucifixion is an act of Jesus' obedience to the Father. That's ultimately what this was. Jesus obeyed the Father. And now they get up to go and maybe 15 to 17 is before they really left, or maybe 15 to 17 is while they're on the way to the garden they enter in chapter 18. I'll give us about five minutes for discussion on that. I realize that may not be adequate, but do you have comments or questions? Just I think it's before
3: they left, not this is definite evidence, but uh, he uses abide like 10 times in verses 4 through like 10 chapters 15. So, I, and he used to buy it a
0: couple times before, like, I think either he's told it before, or he's just, or he's or saying it after about the vine
3: dressing and stuff. Okay. Yes, David. What does he mean by that he has nothing to do? I think
0: you have, he has no claim on me. You know, he has no stake in me. There's nothing he's got on me. Other comments or questions? You're ready to get out of here, aren't you? I don't blame you. Daniel.
3: I about this at the beginning of 14, but it's just so amazing. to It struck me and he says, let my heart be troubled. He said that twice, especially because in previous chapters we have that he is troubled. And that's just so cool. It's just so amazing to me how uh, he was troubled so that we don't have to be troubled. And he took that trouble and that burden on himself that we would be relieved of that trouble. And so that you can say that, but it's like not
0: your heart in trouble. We did have that peace of comfort. it It's just... Amen. Amen. Good point. Well, you're going to need to think about this some more. Uh, obviously, we have scratched the surface in these first 14 chapters. It's been really, good. I'm thankful for this. Uh, there's a lot to think about, especially these chapters. I think the hardest chapters for me in here are 14 and 17. You know, Jesus' teaching is so profound. It's obviously beyond me. But uh, but very helpful, very good to be together. I'm thankful for this. I hope you have safe travels or